It's Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, his glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. And he replied, Go, say to these people, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Dull the minds of these people, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. And the next reading is Acts chapter 27. We're just going to be doing that, the first part of it, Acts chapter 27. Just before Elsie gets up and reads, just a very minor bit of context. You'll remember last week, uh, Paul appealed to Caesar. He was over in Syria, Caesarea, kind of Palestine sort of area, and he appealed to go to Rome to be tried in Caesar's court. We're actually halfway through his, his voyage getting there to Rome, and things have started okay, but it's looking a bit sketchy on this voyage, and that's where we're up to. Elsie's going to come and read for us. So Acts uh, chapter 27 from verse 13. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But not long afterward, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Corda, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground on the surface, they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's gear overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope that we would be saved was disappearing. Since many were going without food, Paul stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. 
For this night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And look, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, take courage, men, because I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea, and in the middle of the night, the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took a sounding and found it to be 120 feet deep. When they had sailed a little farther and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet deep. Then fearing we might run aground in some rocky place, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to be put, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the, from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for this has to do with your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And when he broke it, he began to eat. They all became encouraged and took food themselves. In all, there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard in the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, and at the same time, loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and the ship ran aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape. But the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. So he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to get land and to la get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Elsie. It'd be great if you can keep that uh, part of the Bible open. Um, I wonder, friends, what your faith is like, um, what your life is like, what your kind of relationship with God is like. Is it, is it more like this um, ship journey we've just read about, this kind of chaotic, dangerous, exciting, uh, kind of uh, at times risky kind of life? Or is it more like a cruise ship? You know, you really like smooth sailing. You've got kind of a few ports in mind that you'd like this cruise of life to kind of stop in at. I wouldn't mind stopping at the port called Good Job. I wouldn't mind stopping in at Family, maybe. Good Relationship. I wouldn't mind stopping at uh, House, and then maybe Better Job. And this is where our faith, kind of how our faith works. It's about trusting God that he'll take us on this cruise 
and, and we'll, you know, have some smooth sailing throughout life. I wonder, friends, what is your faith more like? It's kind of an adventurous journey which involves loss as well as successes following Jesus? Or a cruise ship? I'll be honest with you, I have sort of a foot in each boat. And when they go their different ways, it gets a bit uncomfortable, if you know what I mean. Friends, tonight Paul reaches Rome. The gospel reaches Rome. It's kind of this climactic moment. The center of the empire, the center of world power, and the gospel of the Lord Jesus arrives. It's it's a climax. And it's not. (laughs) It kind of just ends. You know, the end of Acts, it just kind of stops. It's this open-ended end. Which actually, that the function of that is to draw us into the story and to say the story's not over, actually. The story actually involves us. You and I are now involved in taking the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth, to the nations. We write Acts chapter 29. But the big question is how? If you and I are involved in taking the gospel out to the ends of the earth, how's it going to go? How's it going to roll? I think that's what our passage here is about. A little side point about reading the Bible. It's important to ask the question, why is this passage here? Because this voyage in the ship, why on earth is it here? Why doesn't he just say, Paul left Palestine on a boat, we had some troubles, and then we arrived in Rome? Who cares? Like, what's it there for? And I think it's there to answer the question, how does the gospel go out? And the answer is, on the adventure ship, on the shipwreck ship with fears and chains and losses and dangers, as well as joys and final victory. But one thing's for sure, it doesn't go on the cruise ship. You ask any missionary that question, they'll tell you that. So tonight, friends, my hope is, uh, for you and for me as well, this is for me very much, that we would have courage to step off the cruise ship a little more and onto the, the adventure ship of following Jesus in his mission. A little more. My first point this evening is this. Jesus to the nations through suffering. The cross. This last bit of Acts is quite interesting. The last bit of Acts and Paul's story lines up against the last part of Luke and Jesus' story. So Paul, Jesus, they both come to Jerusalem. They're both kind of rejected by the Jews. Handed over to the Romans. Tried before a Roman governor or two had to stand before a Herod, a king of the Jews. And then Jesus goes to the cross and his death. And Paul goes to, well, a voyage. That's not bad, is it? Kind of lucks out on that one, doesn't he? A voyage. Friends, I think what we're meant to see, though, through this parallel is this, this sea voyage is actually kind of like Paul's death moment. It's kind of like a, a, a bearing a cross moment. He's kind of carrying a cross here. Um, and that might sound strange unless... You know how Jewish people think of the sea. Um, They're not a seagoing folk. Uh, They don't like the sea. In their minds, in their stories, in the scriptures, the sea is kind of evil and chaotic and dangerous. Paul's already had three shipwrecks and spent, you know, uh, 36 hours in the open sea hanging to a bit of wood or something. So in Daniel or, or in Revelation, when these evil creatures, these beasts, these kind of imaginary beasts arise against God's people, where do they come from? They come from the sea. This is how we view the sea. And so look at our passage, chapter 27 and verse 9, and we'll see how this 
voyage goes. Chapter 27, verse 9, with that background in our minds. By now, much time had passed and the voyage was already dangerous since the fast was already over. The Mediterranean's dangerous to sail on any time after mid-September, the Western Mediterranean. And by mid-November, there is no sailing. Uh, And it's already mid-October. The fast is the beginning of October. We're already at mid-October. It's getting very dangerous to be out there. And then by the time they leave Crete, they just want to sail 100k across. And by the time they leave, it's, it's way too late. And when the storm hits, it's wild, isn't it? 14 days, no light. Does it remind you of the cross in the middle of the day, darkness? 14 days, these sailors, sailors are so petrified, they won't even eat. And we hit rock bottom in verse 20. Verse 20, for many days, neither sun nor stars appeared. And a severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope that we would be saved was disappearing. No hope of life is disappearing. This is the kind of the death moment in a sense. I kind of imagine Paul each day of that storm uh, being on deck and looking up at the mast and its beam that runs across it and thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm living the cross each day here as I take out the message of Jesus. Friends, I think the point of this story is telling us, how does the gospel arrive at Rome? It arrives, it arrives in the shape of a cross. It arrives through suffering and the loss of Paul and, he, and he, of, of the messenger. He has to suffer as he brings the message of the cross. That's how the gospel works. It comes to us from God in the shape of a cross, Jesus' cross. And then it goes out to the world as God's people, his messengers, suffer as we bear our crosses. It's kind of like when you get a product, the wrapping it's in kind of represents a little bit of what the product's like, you know? You know what I mean? The kind of wrapping has to be appropriate to the product. So you buy one of those little smelly soaps and it's wrapped in crepe paper, lovely crepe paper. You know, they kind of match, they're appropriate. You buy a gourmet jam, it's got a gourmet jar with a little bow around the top and some fabric that has no function, but it's lovely. You know what I mean? And that's why, you know, a machine gun in a violin case is so inappropriate. This is, you know, what's inside has to be represented by the wrapping. The gospel comes wrapped in a cross. The suffering of the messengers, the losing out of the messengers, because it's the message of the cross That's how it moves out, and that's the way it's still moving out, friends. It still goes out on the adventure ship and not the cruise ship. Just imagine with me for a moment. You're on a cruise ship, right? You're you're on holidays. The whole purpose is comfort, relaxing. I'm on a cruise. And you're sitting there, and you think to yourself, I should probably speak to the other passengers about Jesus, shouldn't I? Oh, but they're just setting the buffet. (laughs) I don't want to miss out on the prawn cocktails. Like, if you're just shooting for comfort and it's all about you and your comfort, you're not going to speak to people about Jesus. It's unlikely. Because it's not very comfortable, is it? I think this is the way God has actually planned it. It's it's always kind of a loss to some extent to speak about Jesus. You've got to lose out on your time. You've got to lose out on brain space. I think maybe this is the big one. You might think you might lose out on reputation. 
what are they going to think of me? What are they going to they're going to think I'm some kind of weirdo? They're going to think I'm an anti-intellectual? They're going to think I'm behind the times? What's going to happen to me? I feel like I'm going to lose out. You might lose your comfort. Some people might even lose their jobs or even their life. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's always kind of, to some extent, a kind of a loss to speak about Jesus. It's scary, isn't it? It's kind of scary. It's dangerous. Crosses kind of are dangerous. And yet, cruise ships are kind of boring. I've never been on a cruise, so I, maybe I shouldn't speak. But, uh, and actually, to be honest with you right now, um, I'd give anything to be on a cruise. That'd be really lovely. I'd love to go on a cruise. Um, I have a friend who went on a cruise a little while ago, and I came back. He's in his 60s. He was on a cruise with some other sort of 67-year-olds. And he came back, and I said, John, how was your cruise? He kind of paused, looked at me, said, Dan, imagine a giant floating RSL club. And you can never escape. <laughs> I'm sure it's not like that. <laughs> but friends, imagine the rest of your life on a giant floating RSL club. Oh, bingo every day. Meat trays. I don't know. You know, you, you, you would get bored, right? You would get fat, <laughs> lazy, and very self-centered. Friends, Jesus does not call you to a cruise ship. He calls you to a mission ship, a battleship. It's an adventure, and there's always a cost. It always involves losing out in some way. Now, I know I'm probably not selling it very well. I'm not very good at advertising. You might be thinking, this doesn't sound great, Dan. I'm not on board. I'm going to stick with my cruise. Thanks. It's like you're selling me a trip over the Tasman Sea in a leaky bathtub. Yes, it'll be exciting. <laughs> it's not going to end well. But is that where the gospel ends? If Paul is kind of tra taking the message out cross-shaped, is that where the cross ends? Is that where the gospel ends? With the cross? No. It ends with salvation, resurrection, victory. So that when you open up the wrapping of the cross, what do you find inside? You find salvation. You find victory. And that's how Paul actually goes out. I've only told half the story. Paul, his whole life is this crazy combination of always giving himself over to death. Always fully alive. That's our walk as Christians. We kind of, suffering's guaranteed, but always victorious. Always losing, always winning, always won, always won. And so we're going to move on. The second point is this, Jesus to the nation through suffering and victory, the resurrection. So, so look with me at verse 21, chapter 27, verse 21. This is kind of the turning point of the voyage where it becomes much more positive. Verse 21, since many were going without food, Paul stood up among them and said, you men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. I told you so. Let's move on. Leave that behind. It's a bit mean. Now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For this night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And look, 
God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, take courage, men, because I believe God that it will be just the, uh, just the way it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Uh, did you notice the, the thing Paul wants from his listeners, the sailors? Verse 22, take courage. Verse 25, therefore, take courage. That's what I want for us, for you and me. I want to give you three reasons we should have courage. And the first is this, Jesus is with us. You notice in verse 23, what happens? A messenger, an angel of the God I serve came and stood beside me. I wasn't alone, says Paul. God's messenger was with me. And in chapter 23, when Paul was in prison back in Jerusalem, he was under the threat of the Jews. They wanted to kill him. Do you remember what happened? The Lord Jesus came and stood beside him. Friends, is there, if there's any reason for courage, surely that's a reason for courage. That, that we might feel kind of scared to speak up about Jesus or to live radically for him. But we're not alone. Jesus is with us. This is the kind of ship he travels on, the ship of suffering and loss. We're always with him. I don't know if you've ever had a kind of an adventure of, you know, you get lost in the bush or something. I have. It's kind of scary. Or maybe you had an adventure in the city. You've got, you got to walk down a dark alley late at night and someone kind of walks up to you. And it's kind of a, uh. And with you, if you're with someone, it's not absolutely freaky, is it? If you're by yourself, it's just kind of scary. If you're with someone, it's, it changes the whole experience. It's kind of an adventure. Friends, next time you kind of feel like you have an opportunity to speak up for Jesus, or live radically for him, even if it might mean kind of losing out in some way, remember, you're not alone. He's with you in it. Take courage. The second thing is this. There's salvation in and through our losses. So verse 22, look at verse 22 again with me. Paul says, now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. There's the promise, there will be no loss of any of your lives. What will happen to their lives? Well, actually four times in this passage, he uses the word saved. You'll be saved. Verse 20, you'll be saved. Verse 31, this is about being saved. Verse, verse 34, this is about salvation. Literally, salvation. And verse 44, literally the word there is saved safely. As these sailors listen to Paul's words and actually trust him, they're going to be saved. The promise is they'll be saved. Friends, this is, like, this is a concrete picture we're being given here of what Paul's ministry, his life, has been all about. In the midst of all the dangers that Paul walks through. But Paul's life was never smooth sailing. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul's life, never smooth sailing, always struggling. And yet, as he walked through his life, the promise was, I'm saved. God's promised salvation to me. I'm secure. Paul knew that, and so he could walk through sufferings in victory. In the midst of the madness, he knew he was secure. Friends, you might find it scary speaking up for Jesus, taking risks for him, losing out for him. But remember, you're saved. If you trust in the Lord Jesus, you are safe. Your life is secure. Chill out. 
Take courage. You're secure. Not only that, but that as we lose out, as Paul kind of went through this suffering time, actually others were saved, weren't they? He was going to be saved and God was going to give him the lives of all the sailors. They would be saved as they listened to his word, trusted him. That's kind of a concrete picture of these sailors on the boat, but the spiritual reality is so much bigger that as we speak up about Jesus, people might be saved. Isn't that a reason for courage? Isn't that a reason for us to speak up about Jesus? It, It might be hard. We might kind of lose out. People might think poorly of us. You're a weirdo. You're an anti-intellectual. You're one of those Bible bashers. Who cares if they might be saved? Isn't it worth it? Isn't that a reason to to give up reputation, to give up Sunday morning and, and teach the kids kids' church if they might be saved? Isn't that a reason to give up on the cruise ship of life and get onto the adventure ship if people might be saved? Have courage, brothers and sisters. Through all the losses of following Jesus, you are secure as you trust him. You are saved. And others might be saved too. Have courage. The last and greatest reason for us to have courage is this. Jesus is king. That's actually what's going on in Acts. Paul the representative of the king, King Jesus, is heading to Rome, capital of world power, Caesar's throne. He's marching in on Rome. The Lord Jesus is marching into Rome. And have a look with me at chapter 28, verse 15. Sure, Paul's going to come with chains on. That's Jesus style. But the point is, the king is coming. His messenger is coming. Verse 15. Now the believers from there, from Rome, had heard the news about us. And had come to meet us as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns. Friends, this is how people welcome home a conquering king. They head out of the city. They head out to another place and they welcome him. They receive him and they welcome him back into the city. Do you see what's happening here? Through his messenger, through Jesus, through Paul, Jesus, the king, is being welcomed in to Rome. The center of all the empire's power. The king is coming. And I hope you realize that Jesus is the king of the world. I hope that you've acknowledged that in your own life. That he is the one who should call the shots in your life. That he is the one who holds your past and your future in his hand. That he is the one who deserves your whole life, everything of you. Because he really is the king. And he really is a wonderful king who has gone before you and loves you and will keep you. And friends, when Paul, the messenger of the Lord Jesus, comes in to Rome, you know what he does? But what he does is he gathers all the Jews together and says, guys, I'm innocent, like he's been saying all along. But then, turn with me to verse 23. The king has come into Rome. What does he do? After arranging a day with him, many of the Jews came to Paul at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and witnessed about what? The kingdom of God 
He tried to persuade them concerning uh, Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. He turns up, the representative of the king turns up in Rome. He speaks about the king and his kingdom. And not just on one day, look at verse 30 with me, a second last verse. He, then he stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness and without hindrance. I, I love this. Paul, Paul turns up in Rome where on every street corner it's clear Caesar is king. This is the Roman Empire, all right? And what does Paul do? He talks about the kingdom of Jesus. He says Jesus is the king with full boldness and no hindrance. Isn't this the reason for us to have courage, to be bold, to have no hindrance, if we believe Jesus is the king? So that those people whose opinion you're so concerned about, what will they think of me if I talk about Jesus? What will they think? He's their king. Jesus is their king. The people in the media who kind of set the tone and tell us what's fashionable and good and acceptable, he's their king. Even cre the creation itself, Jesus is the king. We see that he's completely in control of this whole sea voyage thing. Brothers and sisters, have courage. Jesus is the king. Sure, not everyone's going to respond and go, oh, yeah, I believe, praise the Lord. That was Paul's experience. Uh, look with me, this, this last passage I want to look at in, in verse 25. Chapter 28 and verse 25. <clears throat> Disagreeing among themselves, the Jews began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit correctly spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your ancestors when he said, go to these people and say, you will listen and listen yet never understand. And you will look and look, yet never perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and be converted. And I would heal them. This is an amazing conclusion to Acts. Um, all along Paul's been accused of not being a proper Jew, but he ends here saying, I'm with the prophet Isaiah. I'm with the prophet Isaiah. It's just that the prophet Isaiah says that when the king comes, your glorious salvation comes, you won't listen. And they didn't. But, read the next verse. Verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that this saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles, the nations. They will listen. Friends, they are listening. The Lord Jesus, the King, is growing his kingdom. Just yesterday, I read this thing from a magazine from Barnabas Fund. Uh, just came out a few days ago. In Iran, the authorities appear to be struggling to prevent the huge growth of Christianity in the country, with thousands of Iranian Muslims turning to Christ. Public statements by officials warning about the dangers of Christianity and the police crackdowns on pastors and converts do not appear to have slowed the explosive growth of the faith. There are reports of police and jailers being brought to Christ by the faithful witness of their prisoners. Then it talks about Iraq, Algeria, India, China, Cuba. I love it. The kingdoms of Islam, kingdoms of communism, in the very middle of them, the king is growing his kingdom. 
The king is being declared and witnessed to, and his kingdom is growing. In our kingdom of secular humanism, his kingdom grows. And so, brothers and sisters, we have a choice to make. Will we get on board with what he's doing? Will we step off the cruise ship a little bit and join the adventure with the losses that it will involve and in victory? Or will we be completely committed to our comfort, to our goals and purposes, to our cruise ship? And will we miss out? Friends, we have every reason to get involved. Could there be anything more significant, more valuable, more exciting, more eternal than this? Have courage, brothers and sisters. Speak about Jesus. And maybe we'll change the world. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to watch a little video about that. Uh, but I might just give you a moment just to pause and consider for yourself. Father, I want to confess for myself and perhaps for others that we are sometimes ashamed of you and of our King Jesus. Father, we're so sorry. That's so inappropriate when he really is the King. Father, you've given us every reason to have courage and to speak up about our King. We pray, please, you'd give us conviction by your spirit that he indeed is the king of the world, that we indeed are saved, and that as we speak, perhaps others could be saved as well. Give us conviction that you are with us every step of the way. Father, drive fear away from us. Replace it with your love, with your rule, your sovereignty. Open our mouths that we might declare your praise. Help us to speak Father, I pray for those perhaps sitting here this evening who don't yet know you as their king. I pray, please, you'd give them the joy of knowing you, of bending their knee before you and accepting you as the ruler of their lives, the wonderful king. Father, perhaps there's some here who are thinking, yeah, I really do. I really do need to step off the cruise ship a bit and, and join you in your adventure. Please continue that conviction. Drive it deeper. And Lord, even this week, put opportunities in our path to step forward and to speak for your name's sake. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified through us and among us. Please let your kingdom come. Amen.